Before we get to today's show, I want to ask you all for a big favor. Make sure you leave a rating or review. If you listen to the podcast, if you get value out of it, let us know. Leave a rating or review for two reasons. Number one, it helps other people find the show. It makes sure that we're climbing up the charts. And number two, it lets us know that we're doing something right. I read all the ratings and reviews. I want to know what you guys like. And of course, you can follow me on Twitter at RealJohnDavids and hashtag making it. You can talk to me. I want to know what you guys think. Now let's get to today's show. You're listening to Making It with John Davids. What's up, guys? JD here. And today we're going to talk about a tweet that I put out there and it got some feedback on. I thought it was worthwhile to share with you and break down because I think it breaks down a lot of myths of what happens in the world of venture capital. People hear a lot of big numbers when it comes to venture capital. They hear companies raise at a billion-dollar valuation. This company just got $300 million in venture funding. This brand-new company that's been around for 6 months just raised $15 million seed round. And then 3 months later, they raise $40 million Series A or a seed plus. And you know that's been happening for many, many years. It's cooling down a little bit right now because the market's been very overheated. But I want to talk about what that actually means in plain English because people hear especially the word exit and they hear, oh, this company exited and it sold for a couple hundred million. And then they assume the founder just gets that money or gets like almost all of that money. That really is not how it works. So the tweet that I put out there went like this. A $500 million exit sounds cool until you realize... $225 million went to the Series D investors. $175 million went to Series A to C. $30 million went to Seed. $15 million went to ESOP. And $55 million went to the founders. Don't get me wrong. $55 million is awesome, but I can think of a lot easier ways to get it. So that's what I tweeted. Yeah, a little bit. You know, Maybe, I don't know, is it a lot easier to get $55 million doing something else? We can leave that for later, but let me just break down what I meant by this tweet and why I actually think, you know, a lot of the stuff I say on Twitter is kind of tongue in cheek. Don't take it all so literally. Sometimes I'm just trying to make a point or grab attention, but I actually think there's a lot of truth to this. And let me break down why. You hear a big number. This company sold for $500 million. It was a startup and it was acquired by a big name blue chip company for a half a billion. Okay, sounds great, right? And maybe you know the founders or you went to school with the founders or you read about them when they were just starting out in their garage. Usually what happens is a company will go through a number of fundraisers. So it'll raise, let's call it a friends and family round or an angel round first. Then it will do a seed round, which is the first institutional money that it raises. Although it'll be a small number, maybe just 2 or 3 or 4 million. used to be... Back when I was doing my first company, it was like 700,000 was a seed round. Now it's in the millions. Then you'll do Series A, Series B, Series C. And that can really go on. I mean, there have been Series E, F, G. You can go on and on. But generally speaking, once you get past Series A, you are already a business that's operating and scaling and not necessarily making money or making profit, but at least that there's some institutional predictability that there's less risk. So you've de-risked a certain amount. But the investors that come in at that point also have what's called preference. And I've done tweets on this. So I'm not going to go too much into detail. But 
you basically have two kinds of shares. You have common shares and preferred shares. This is an oversimplification. Common shares are what everybody gets in a company when they get shares for being a part of the company or the founder has you know shares in the company, stock in the company. That's generally called common shares. Then you have preferred shares, which are given to people, generally speaking, who give money. And the more money you give, the more preferred or the more preference you have. And what does that mean? Well, it might mean that in the event the company is sold, I get my money back before anybody else gets paid anything. Okay, so if I put $100 million into this company and the company sells for $100 million in a year, I get every dollar back and everybody else gets nothing. And we might think, well, that sounds crazy. That's actually what happens a lot of the time. The preferred investors get their money back. And then you could have what's called a liquidation preference. So you could actually have a situation where I get one or two or three times my money back. So one times my money means I get every dollar I put into the company back to me before anybody else gets paid. You could also have a 2x liquidation preference, meaning I get two times my money. If I put in $100 million, I get $200 million back before anybody else gets paid a dollar. So right there, you can all of a sudden see why the exit might not be what you think it is. It doesn't matter that I have 50% ownership or 60% ownership in my company. I don't get 60% of every dollar upon an exit if somebody else had preference above me. right? So you can all of a sudden see how it gets a little bit murky. Now, we're talking right now about people that invest later on. So when I said here, 225 million went to the Series D investors, I just made that number up. But let's just say hypothetically, in your Series D, you raised 225 million. Well, when you sell the company, and let's assume that the Series D investors had a a 1x liquidation preference, which means they get one time their money back, they get every dollar back. 225 million goes to them before anybody gets anything. So it doesn't matter that you have 50% ownership in the company. The company sells for $500 million. Do you get 250 million? No way, because everybody else gets their money back first in the case of a liquidation preference. Another thing to think about you have what's called call options, put options. And so effectively, what can happen is someone can put money into the company and then they say, hey, I need to get my money out in three years or four years. So if you don't sell the company, you need to buy my shares back from me and we can determine what a fair price for those shares is and what a fair timeline for that buyback is. But I'm going to force you to buy my shares back in a certain period of time. Now, why might an investor do this? A couple of reasons. So first of all, the investor might have a timeline on when they need to return capital to their limited partners, to the people that fund their funds. right? So you have a few people in the stack here. I might be a pension fund that puts a billion dollars into a venture capital fund. And then out of that billion dollars, 100 million goes into a company as an investment. But I know as the VC, I've got to return that billion dollars to the pension fund in three or four years. Okay, so if I'm putting money from that fund into a company, into a startup, I need to guarantee that I'm going to get it back. So if you don't sell this company in a certain period of time, I need to be able to get my money back. And by the way, there are ways to get around that. You can do what's called a secondary offering, which means you allow an existing investor to sell their shares to another investor. So 
The company themselves doesn't need to actually fork up the cash to buy it back. But I have seen this happen. So this is where all kinds of nightmare scenarios actually play out when you have investors that need to get out, that want to get out. They have the right to get out because of their share structure. And that can happen. So let's go back to my tweet here. $225 million went to the Series D investors, like I said. Why? Because let's just say they get their money back or they get their money back times 3 or times 4 for anybody else. $175 million went to Series A to C. Why? For the same reason. There's at least going to be a 1x preference. I get my money back before you get anything. So if you raised $175 million, it goes back. Okay, $30 million went to the seed investors. Well, why? Because they were the early investors. Now, they're below A to C and D investors in this example, but they get their money back as well. And they probably get some kind of share equitable to what their ownership is. $15 million went to ESOP. So ESOP stands for Employee Share Option Pool. If you're in a startup that is raising a lot of money, you're probably going to give shares to your employees, to your early employees. This is how people become millionaires or make hundreds of thousands of dollars because they had shares or options to buy shares in the company when it started. And this is actually really common, especially if you're hiring super qualified people and not paying them as much as they could get elsewhere, you're going to give them shares in the company. So I say $15 million, again, made this number up, but a certain portion is going to go to the employees who have equity ownership in the company as well. Now, to be totally honest, the ESOP is actually the part that gets screwed most often. Most of the times, the founders actually make up better than the employees. Whole different conversation, but that's the reality as well. And then I said $55 million went to the founders. Now, the reason I said this is actually really simple. If you had a $500 million exit, and let's say somebody said, Oh, yeah, I've got 30% ownership in this company. I'm a founder. I retained 33% ownership, one third ownership. One third of 500 million is not 55 million. 55 million is closer to about 10 or 11% of 500 million. But that's what you would actually get in this instance. And by the way, I've also heard of situations where you have a $500 million exit and the founder gets literally nothing. Literally nothing. The founder gets maybe $600,000 when the company exited for hundreds of millions. Why? Lots of investors get their money back and then some. Money goes elsewhere. Maybe you have debt on the company. So this is the reality of what happens when you have an exit. And there are so many stories to the good and to the bad. And uh, I'm not going to get into all those, but just understand it's not as clear as you might think it is. Now, two other points I want to hit here. People have this feeling like equity and debt are really different. So when I raise debt, like when I actually take on debt for my company, I'm starting a business, I take on $50,000 in debt. People say, Oh, well, that's risky because you got to pay it back. Like, yes, there is some risk to that. And I don't recommend you do it unless you know what you're doing. But Taking on equity is the same thing effectively. It's still borrowed money. People have this idea of like, oh, well, we're on the same team because they're putting their money in and they have a 30% ownership and I have the other 70% and now we're a team. No, no, no. They're getting their money back before you in almost any instance. I mean, listen, if you're dealing with a really unsophisticated investor, that might not be the case. Maybe they truly are just you know 30% owners and that's it. But anybody who's been doing this for any period of time is going to insist on a liquidation preference of at least 1x. 
I get my money back, my cash that I put in, I get it back upon an exit before you get paid. And why do I do that? Because the company might not sell for even what I put in, right? I might put in $100,000. You decide to sell this company in two years for 50 grand or maybe 200 grand. Well, I want my 100,000 back and then we'll split the rest. That's typically what happens. The other thing to keep in mind is that when you see these big numbers, oh, you know, a company raised $300 million, $400 million, and people are super impressed. I'm actually much more impressed when people are able to raise like 3 million or 5 million and then build a company that is worth hundreds of millions without having to raise a lot of capital. Every time you raise a dollar, it's a dollar that has to get returned. Keep that in mind. Every dollar you raise has to go back to where it came from before you get to share the spoils of whatever's left. So that's a really important framework to think about when you're looking at raising money, when you're seeing news stories about companies that raised money and then exited. I'm not saying any of it is bad. It's all good. It's all creating wealth and that's all good. But it's worthwhile to look at it with a realistic lens. And don't be swayed by what the media tells you or what you see on the news or what you hear about from uninformed people. This is the reality. One more thing I want to mention here. I finished this tweet by saying, don't get me wrong, $55 million is awesome, but I can think of a lot easier ways to get it. And somebody wrote and said, well, what are you talking about? The best way to get $55 million would be to you know, start a venture-backed company and then sell it. And you've got to listen to my podcast more. You've got to follow me on Twitter. I talk about this all the time. The best way to make money is by doing a really, really simple thing. Don't try to be a genius. Do something simple. Be really, really good at it. Build a business around that service and really operationalize that business. In my mind, you want to build a $55 million company, you can get there relatively quickly versus the venture capital route because you're going to have a lot of failures along the way, a lot of heartache. And frankly, it's just a lot more fun to own your destiny and not be working for the venture capitalists. If that's your game, Awesome. All the power to you. I'm friends with a lot of you. And I think that what you're doing is great if it works for you. But what I don't want to see is people getting swayed and brought into this lifestyle that they didn't know was going to be the way it is. And there's another way to do it that's much more suitable for you. So that's what I think is important to keep in mind. As long as you know what you're doing, as long as you know what you're getting into, all the power to you. What do you guys think? I want to know. Follow me on Twitter at RealJohnDavids, R-E-A-L-J-O-N-D-A-V-I-D-S. Subscribe to this podcast. Leave a rating or review. Leave a comment. I want to know what you guys think. And I'll talk to you next time.